Habari Ghani, everyone. Imani. Faith is the seventh principle of Kwanzaa. And today is New Year's Day, January 1st, 2021. And we're going to be rebroadcasting a really wonderful program that first broadcast, or first aired, I should say, December 23rd. And it is a conversation between co-editors Carla Brundage and Sarah Bill of a wonderful work, Home. It's an anthology of poetry and prose, and the sales from the book go to support the Moms for Oakland um, Housing Development or Trust. So again, have a happy new year and uh, enjoy today. Bala suayo Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a Black Arts and Cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And I know after seeing the Great Conjunction on Monday evening, the winter solstice, the first day of winter, the shortest day of the year, not the shortest day in importance, of course, that everyone is feeling so re-energized and, I don't know, maybe optimistic might be the word for it. And um, we are so excited to be following the Great Conjunction. And don't worry, you can still see Jupiter and Saturn in close proximity in the night sky when the sun sets uh, in the west, um, southwest to be exact. looks like an earring. Just one earring <laughs> with two little diamonds sparkling, and you see a little, see a little sort of fuzz, which are the moons and and Saturn's rings aren't as visible as they were uh, a few days, not a few days ago. Yeah, a few days ago, but it's still magnificent. But what better day? What better morning to be talking about, you know, home and homefulness and this new publication. Colossus Home, edited by Sarah Bill and Carla Brundage, my two guests uh, this morning. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Carla. How are you both? Good morning, Wanda. Thank you so Good much morning. for having us. Good morning, I'm really Wanda. excited, Sarah. Good morning, Carla. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. 
Great, great. So before we sort of dive right in, let me let me uh, read your bios, and then we can maybe start out with Colossus Press and you know the genesis of that, and then you know come down to this uh, first publication, um, Colossus Home, which is flying off the shelves, and I'm not sure. I think you all have a special, and then. Um, Carla, I know that we're not talking about Our Spirits Care Our Voices, West Oakland to West Africa, Poetry Exchange, but you also have a book <laughs> that you edited. You're just like a busy editor. And uh, <laughs> so you definitely can plug um, Our Spirits Carry Our Voices, West Oakland to West Africa, Poetry Exchange as well, so people can get both books, you know, because um, this is that season of giving, as they say. So Sarah Bill is a poet, visual artist, and social worker. Her work combines original text with different materials, different art materials. She is passionate about collaborative art and performance processes and focuses on art as a medium for building community. Sarah's work has been featured in Oakland's Moondrop Productions and Sparkle and Blink. And you should see the way Sparkle and Blink look on the page lowercase s, capital P-A-R-K-L-E, and blink, lowercase b, capital link. She is the editor of Colossus, Bay Area Poets Challenge Immigration Injustice, and, uh, okay, (laughs) Sarah and Carla Brundis collaboratively edited Colossus Home. Okie doke. So, again, welcome, Sarah. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Wanda. It's so such an honor to be here. Oh, I'm really looking forward to the, the poetry and the conversation this morning. Ah, You know, that's the only reason why I get up early <laughs> on Wednesdays. <laughs> ah, Carla, my dear friend. You are a Bay Area-based poet, activist, and educator with a passion for social justice. You're born in Berkeley, California, and you spent most of your childhood in Hawaii, where you developed a deep love of nature. You are the founder of West Oakland to West Africa Poetry Exchange, Wodawa, which has facilitated cross-cultural exchange between Oakland and West African poets. She is currently editing a pan-Africanist Wodawa poetry collection. Oh, you already did that. And it was published by Pacific Raven Press, your mom's press, um, this year, and uh, and it's a wonderful document. And you are a board member of Before Columbus Foundation, which provides recognition and wider audience for the wealth of cultural and ethnic diversity that constitutes American writing. writing. Your poetry book, Swallowing Watermelons, was published by Ishmael Reed publishing company in 2006. Gosh, I remember that. That was a long time ago. I know. <laughs> time for another like 2006, one. <laughs> like, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah time for another long. one. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Your poetry, short stories, and essays have been widely anthologized and can be found in Hip Mama, Literary Kitchen, Lotus Press, Bamboo Ridge Press, Vibe, and Conch Literary Magazine. You hold an MA in education from San Francisco State University and an MFA from Mills College. So again, welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Wanda. Oh, you're welcome. 
So, Colossus, home. Sarah, tell us about your idea. Um, well, this idea started just about a year ago. Um, I was following pretty closely all the media around um, the Moms for Housing. That was the group of women who moved into an unoccupied home in West Oakland um, and were uh, technically, I guess, squatting there, but um, they moved in because they were Bay Area natives and mothers and working but still couldn't afford to find a place in Oakland and in the Bay Area to live with their families, so sort of as an act of protest and to have a safe place for their families, they moved into this home. And I was following that because um, I have been a social worker working with unhoused folks for my entire 20-something year career, and I was so excited by what these women were doing because I felt like you know, supporting people and trying to find housing for so long. It is a very difficult and um, frustrating and disappointing process. And I felt like there did need to be more media and more attention paid to that issue and um, more action. And I was really impressed with these women and their um, action that they were taking and the bravery for doing it in such a public way with all of the risks that came with that. And um, so on, I was on their sort of text alert list, and I found out that the day after Christmas at very early in the morning, um, they'd been notified that they were going to be evicted. And so um, I think it was like 6.30 or 7 in the morning, my daughter and I went and lots of people arrived there that morning to witness and support the women if that was going to happen. And um, it was wonderful to see how many people were really responding and supporting these moms. And later that day I was talking to Carla and I was like, I think this should be our next anthology. Um, because we'd been talking about what to do. We um, worked together on um, uh, Colossus, which was our first anthology that was a chat book focusing on immigration injustice um, shortly after the current administration started separating families. And we wanted to do something more, and the Moms for Housing just really felt like the right thing. And so, yeah, it's been about a year since Carl and I had that first conversation about um, focusing on this issue and seeing if our Bay Area poetry community would support it, which we thought they would, and they did in a wonderfully overwhelming response. And so that's how we uh, started this next book, Colossus Home, and I guess Colossus Press was sort of something that just rolled out of that because we needed to have um, some kind of organization that was going to be putting out Colossus Home, and um, we were pretty clear that we wanted to make this 100% donation from the cost of the book going to Moms for Housing, and 
you know, most small presses, all small presses need to, you know, make money to continue in our current system. So um, we decided to just do it on our own. And that's how Colossus Press sort of came into being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Carla, um, your comments about, about that day um, a year ago this week, and uh, it was the first day of Kwanzaa, um, Umoja, Unity, that, um, you know, these, these mothers, these mothers and children were threatened, you know, by um, Oakland police with eviction. And it wasn't just any old kind of eviction either. It was going to be like war tactics. Yeah, it was a it was a really violent eviction with major weapons mm-hmm. you know, to evict mothers and children. Yeah, I think um, to add to what Sarah said is just um, not only were we moved to action by their call to action. It was their call to action, and we were moved by it. Um, But this idea that Moms for Housing um, is an organization of women seeking change not only for themselves but for the system and um, that um, this, the plan in place, to really kind of make a statement, a broader statement about housing and to look at the problem uh, was so, like, well thought out and thoughtful that we were just kind of like, yeah, this is just a great organization. It's one that um, not only did we respond, what I'm saying, to the eviction, but to the organization itself and to the founders and to their vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you have um <clears throat> like an update on Moms for Housing and um um and also um I know one of the leaders in the particular organization, she is now a, on city council in District 3, which is where this action took place. Um she's going to be sworn in this coming year. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Sarah. Oh, no, you go ahead. Well, so I think that's Dominique Walker. Uh, um, actually, Dominique got, Dominique is on the rent board in Berkeley, and Carol Fife is in um, District 3 in Oakland. Um, So both of these women who were part of the core group starting Moms for Housing have, um, been elected to public office, which is fantastic and mm, really yeah. exciting and, um, you know, seems in my mind almost like effervescent, like one thing has moved into other things, which is really exciting and really empowering to people who have lived this experience and know how important it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I, I thought that was really exciting because in both both places, I know in Oakland in particular, um, you know, you know, I really like Lynette Malcahaney, um, but she's really establishment, right? And she's been in that position for a minute uh, as um, District Three Council person, and then for you know Carol, 
you know, to come in with grassroots energy and support. And I'm like, and she did really well. <laughs> uh, you know, pretty amazing. I mean, pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and just you know, really timely because, you know, I know I know because of you know your attention to, you know, houselessness, and and to what's happening on the streets because of your work, but also because you know you have eyes <laughs> and you can see. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, even with with the little tiny stimulus package that they're pulling together that's not going to pay anything. What's going to happen to our our folks January 1st when rent becomes due, right? All this, you know, the abatement, you know, so far of of these payments that are going to come due in less than a month. Yeah, a lot of people are wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people are potentially going to be facing eviction because the stimulus Mm -hmm. You know, six hundred dollars doesn't really cover almost anyone's rent in the Bay Area. Not anyone who doesn't live in any kind of like significantly low income housing. You know, and one six hundred dollar payment might be maybe one month of low income housing, but it's you know, this pandemic has been going on for you know almost a year. I think the first case in the United States was the third week in January. So you know, we've been in this situation for, you know, almost a year, and that's a lot of rent. And mm-hmm. um, so a lot of people are very terrified and very upset and anxious right now because, they, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And um, $600 isn't going to really solve that problem at all. And then I also worry if, for all the people who you know, are still outside and have been outside this whole time. And um, folks who are who were lucky enough to get put in, you know, hotel rooms or have hotel rooms supplied to them during this pandemic, but we don't know how long those hotels are going to be available for them or what mm-hmm. the next steps are for those people necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I think what yeah. they're not talking about is that in the stimulus plan, there have been millions of dollars allocated to directly pay off, like not that don't go to people. But, I mean, the way it's being messaged to us is you're going to get $600 and you're going to pay your rent with that. But there's actually a huge sums of money that are going to the states that are supposed to be used to actually directly pay the landlords. But a lot of that money is getting held up in the red tape of our government. So um, it's good to have people like Carol Fife or even Dominique Walker. I mean, I know they're at the district level, but someone's got to start pushing to have that money released so that people don't have to use their stimulus plan $600 to pay what could be up to like $12,000 of back rent. Like that needs to be taken care of by the money that's been sent to the state to be for that use. It's just not getting freed, and I'm not really sure why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe Barbara Lee, who's our our larger representative, will. I'm sure she will think of. She will try something because I know that she's someone I really believe in. Mm-hmm. But yeah. there's so much 
right now. There's so so many things that are vying for attention at all these levels. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And and I believe uh, Sarah, you told me that um, you used your stimulus money to publish um, Colossus yeah. Home. Is that <laughs> that's, is that correct? That's how I <laughs> that's how I paid for the publication of it. Um, because I, you know, I am a social worker, and so I have been working throughout the pandemic. Um, and so, I was, when I received my stimulus money, I, I was like, I know exactly how how I want to use this. Um, so, because we had before the shutdown and before things got the way they got, Carl and I had a lot of ideas for trying to get grant money and do different fundraising things to help support the publication um, of Colossus Home because we really did want to make sure all of the sales from the book went to Moms for Housing in a really direct way. And um, when everything shut down, it was there was a little bit of <laughs> – panic about how you know we have all this amazing poetry now and we're committed to this process and how are we going to make it happen I was like well that's my stimulus money you know that's exactly where that's going because you know I am lucky enough to have been able to work this entire time without you know I have my job so um, I can continue to pay my bills and live my life so that's what I chose to do with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking it might be time for a poetry break. And uh, so you all could share um, some poetry. And then later on, you know, we could, you could share poetry from the book that might not be yours um, or whatever writing, you know, say if you want to read something from uh, your introduction, you know, please feel free to do so. The time is yours, uh, and then I definitely want us to talk about this gorgeous document, you know, all of the beautiful photography, um, you know, Fred Dosworth, Angela Wellman, and others um, throughout throughout the publication, and sort of how, how you, you know, how you commissioned that aspect, because it's really beautiful. And, um, yeah, and talk about, you know, some of the contributors and... Um, and also, you're both mothers, and and you know, besides you know being really good friends, and you both again live in Oakland, and so there is definitely a commitment, you know, to the actual geography um, of this particular space where you were inspired um, by what happened in West Oakland with these women, these mothers standing up for justice. Um, but then we think about sort of this time of the year, right? Um, We've got Christmas happening on Friday, just two days from now. And there was a homeless family, right, in the mythology, you know, of the story. Mm -hmm. And there there was this baby that didn't have anywhere, like there was no health care coverage, you know, no hospitals. (laughs) You know, they were, like, seriously roughing it in, um, um, I guess, in a place called Bethlehem. And, uh, and, uh, you know, but, you know, the child wanted to come out, you know, wanted to be born, and it happened. And, you know, the dad was looking for a place, and he just couldn't find anywhere, right? And, uh, and so, you know, the mom laid down. She had the baby, and 
you know, all these great gifts came, you know, in the form of these folks coming from far and wide, you know, to witness this this birth. And I'm thinking, like, you know, I'm just sort of still in, into the conjunction, right? I don't know if you where you all were. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if you were looking up or not, and if you're still looking up. But I am, like, so inspired by this mm-hmm. celestial happening because I think it all <laughs> means something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That will be unfolding, you know, as as the the year progresses into the next year. So anyway, so first up, let's hear some poetry. Okay. Um, do you want to go first, Carla? Um, sure. Um, so there's a lot of really amazing poets represented in this book, and as Wanda mentioned, artists. So I thought I would start with um, sharing some poems from some of the other authors. Um, Susan Dombroff, I was going to read her poem, Vast. Um, And I can read her bio. Um, Susan Dombroff is a poet, performer, and teacher. Her chapbook, Conversations with Trees, was published in 2018 by Finishing Line Press. Um, her manuscript, A Chair Keeps the Floor Down, is soon to be published by Finishing Line Press. And she performs throughout the Bay Area in spoken duets, a poetic collaboration with Chris Kalmet, Kamler. So um, what I loved about this book was, like, the different variations of on home. Um, we decided to leave the theme open, so not just homelessness, but what is home, what is the meaning, why is home important. Um, so I'll just go ahead and read this poem. Vast, Susan Dombra. This house with its red door and everything it opens into, cut flowers on the kitchen table and the field that grew them, letters that find words, that find poems, that cheer the heart, window that faces a hill, a rope, swing on a tree, a child flying out with abandon, a staircase walk to a full moon, all gods we follow, conjure, question, prayers for safe passage, to beckon the rain, insist on beauty, wild roses, hills fresh with snow, everything possible, stars we don't yet know, vast and incomprehensible, insisting on love's bravery, we go on. So that's Vast by Susan Dombroff. And I was going to read one more um, by Yolanda Morissette. And I can read her bio as well. Yolanda Morissette was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, a military brat. She suffered from mental illness, drug, alcohol addiction, and homelessness. She lived on the streets of the Tenderloin for seven years. Now she helps others deal with addiction and mental illness and as an advocate for homelessness. And in quotes in her bio, she says, being homeless sucks and I want to make a difference. So this is Yolanda's poem called I Am Homelessness. Can you see me? You walk past my encampment daily as you go on your coffee run. I am homeless. 
I am somebody. I have a name, and it is homeless. We are in search of justice. Our voices should be heard. Don't shut us out. We are the faces of the women in a society which wants to push us under the carpet of the underworld. We are not dust, which should be interpreted as non-existent. We are the glitter of the world, the sprinkles of the universe. Look at the many faces of the people, our women, the beautiful jewels of San Francisco. Acknowledge us and our sisterhood. Our destiny has led us down this temporary path of despair. Do you care? We are smart. We are mothers, the women of the Bay Area. They look like you and me. I love my women. And if you cannot be a part of the solution, you will forever be witness to a mass problem which will continue to be systematic. Unless you gain knowledge and understanding. So next time you take a walk through the city, think about looking into the eyes of the homeless women. We are the birth of our future. We empower each other through our many challenges. People think this is our choice, our decision to be on the streets. Get to know the women. Smile. Say hello. Society looks down on the homeless like they do not have an identity or a name. I am homeless, but my name is Yolanda. And then after this poem, there's a beautiful image here by Angela Wellman called Metered Refuge Photo, and it's taken in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. And it um, illustrates a woman um, in a doorway. It's a beautiful image. Is it in color or black and white? Oh, it's black and white. Mm -hmm. Nice. Ah, Sarah. Thank you, Carla. Well, um, I thought um, I was looking through the book, and I loved all of the poems so much. Um, But this morning what was really calling to me to start with um, was um, a poem by a poet named Daphne Gottlieb. And um, Daphne is an amazing writer, and she is also a social worker. And um, she's been writing and publishing in the Bay Area for many, many years. And she's one of my absolute favorites. So I'll read her bio first. Daphne Gottlieb is a San Francisco-based writer. Her 11th book and first novel, 1001, My Suicide Note, was in your handwriting. And your handwriting was 12-point Helvetica. Is expected in the fall of 2020. So maybe maybe it's out now. I hope so. She spends her days trying to make the class war a fair fight and her nights studying disasterology. And um, her poem is wonderful, and I'm going to read two sections of it. Um, the first section I'm going to read is called Interview. Interview. We were asleep. We did not know. There was a loss of feeling. There was numbness or inability to move, and I think that was, and then he, he looked down, numbness, and a piece of seashell, a needle, a nail, my daughter and I, our heads covered by blankets, so the officer kind of kicked me, 
to penetrate the skin, to wake me up. I was awake. I threw the blanket like, what? Repair. The girls around here make a wall with the bodies, fluids, and salts to make a wall, a good wall, someplace safe, protective, wrapping. And a lot of girls down here can duct tape, can fix anything. After everything they can fix, sleep around or sleep with, you know, a person can fix anything as one person, protective wrapping, and stay against all kinds of bumps and bangs and wear and tear from the law, from protection, just to know duct tape holds what's inside in place. A lot of the girls around here can make a really good duct tape tent, fix rips. The girls around here don't sew, don't use protection. If you have duct tape, it's not too late to fix. And, um, I, yeah, I really love Daphne's writing. Yeah, and the, that's so duct tape, wow. Yes, I mean, people, you know, people are amazing and creative and problem solvers. So, great. Mm-hmm. Um, the other poet that I thought I would read is um, Shilpa Kamat, and I'll read her bio, too. Writer, educator, and healing arts practitioner, Shilpa Kamat was a finalist for the 2018 Gloria Andalusia Poetry Prize, and her chapbook, Sarawati Takes Back the Alphabet, was published by Newfound in 2019. Her writing is informed by ecology, global mythologies, and her diverse intersecting identities, centralizes in-between and underrepresented experiences, and has an orientation towards healing and connectivity. Shilpa has an MFA in creative writing from Mills College. She resides in the Bay Area, where she teaches writing and yoga. You can read more about her at shilpakamat.com, and that is S-H-I-L-P-A-K-A-M-A-T.com. And her poem is titled Abode. One, funny this habit of drawing lines, of dividing the earth with lines, of deciding who has ownership, of deciding who belongs to each square foot in each town, district, nation, state. Funny how everywhere someone owns the ground, owns slivers of watershed, the single bank of a river, as though any piece would survive without connection to the whole. Two, where do you rest? Where do you sleep? Within protective walls or upon a patch of dry earth? Where do you rest? Where do you sleep? Is it somewhere you can return to again and again? Is it somewhere safe from smoke, from floods and bad intentions? How do you rest? How do you sleep? Secure about your place in life or wondering about tomorrow. Three, there are people who see more and more of the earth's crust, who want also to claim oceans and mantles, 
there are people who more and more want to rule the places where the children stretch to gentrify air, to parcel off cubes of the earth's core. For when it is not yours anymore, when it is theirs or no one's, where will you go with leaving your choice? When it is not yours anymore, when it is theirs or no one's, the land still knows you, your body still knows. That place that sheltered you, this place where you breathed, night after night, this place where you felt at home. Ah, nice. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, if you all don't mind, um, I have a a selection and another one later that I'd like to share. Um, okay, super. Um, this one, the first one, is going to be um, by uh, Fred Dosworth, and uh, he writes in his bio, an ink-stained wretch, Fred Dosworth spent most of the last 30 years in newsrooms picking fights with mayors, police chiefs, and editors. He lost most fights, but not just on his belt include one police chief, one mayor, and numerous politicians. (laughs) He writes poetry because there's more truth to be found in poetry than in any news story. His stories and poems have been published in Red Light Lit, Rag Mag, Troop, Oakland Review No. 3, River River, River Babble, Transfer, Milvia Street, Bay Area Generations, Oh, I'm in Bay Area Generations. (laughs) Riding Without Walls, you are too, Carla. Saturday Night Special, Something Worth Revisiting, U.S. Represented. 11-9, The Fall of Democracy, Rise, exclamation point, and others. He's currently shopping a book of poems, a book of short stories, and a novel. And this piece which is uh, juxtaposed to a really beautiful photo by Angela Wellman, Sweet Home Up North, up South, uh, is entitled Homeless. And if you have a book, it's on page 119. It's not my first time. You probably think it's my fault, bad choices, bad decisions. I think of that song, if it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have no luck at all. I could tell you this and or that, how it rained hard, how life isn't fair, but you know, I know you've had more than your fair share. Maybe I made a wrong turn, walked when I should have run, shown when I should have hid, fell in love hard with the wrong man or woman or whatever. Or I didn't ask to be born into a devout family, me being the sort of fool who asks questions or has answers they won't like. Forget about it, neath my dirty clothes, worn-out shoes, my care-worn face, these circumstances neath it all, I'm just like you. You know what I want, clean underwear, a smile, you to say hello. I'd kill for clean socks. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. You know how long I've worn these socks, so long my socks want to get away from me. So long my socks hate the way I smell. You bathe today, put on clean clothes, not me, not clean, nor new. No hot water, bathroom, no way to wash away the day, the dirt, the pain. 
When I take off my gear, some poor lost soul steals my rags because my rags are better rags than the sad rags he has to wear. But I'm lucky I'm not a woman. You know what all she has to put up with, living on the streets, dying on the streets. A woman with dreams, hides in libraries, churches, works to look like someone the moment she fails. Hells opens, no bottom, no luck until she dies. And sometimes, too often, I think it might be okay to die, that is, but not now. Right now, I think I have a shot, a chance I might slip through, back on my feet, into the game. But enough about me. Let's talk about you. You have Sawbuck to spare? Maybe a Jackson? I could really use it if you wouldn't miss it. So that is... Really, wow, I, I can really, can't you, like, see the people that he is illustrating for us? Yeah, yeah it's it's beautiful, yeah. and I want to give a big shout-out to Fred, because this book would not be at all what it is without all of his amazing work and support and enthusiasm. Um, so I really want to give him like props because he like took um, what Carl and I were doing and just boosted it. So, Mm. um, yeah, it would, you know, he is so much a part of this book um, and so responsible for it being a beautiful thing. It is, you know, beautiful piece of art. It is. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the beauty of the book and the work. Um, but also I want you all to talk about sort of, you know, this, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, this this uh, this space where we sit presently. I mean, there's just so much swirling. Um, you know, we are sitting, both all of us right now, in our homes, right? <laughs> you know, we're home full for sure, um, but everyone is not home yeah. full. And, uh, and... And we're see, we're sitting in this moment where there's so much joy uh, seasonally, but there's a lot of sorrow presently as well. And there's always sorrow. You know, we think about the people that are locked up, right? There's always sorrow, mm-hmm. but now we're like more aware of the sorrow than than maybe we have been in the past. You know, think about all the people that have lost people you know, loved ones, friends to this um, pandemic and people who haven't um, been infected, people who are infected, people who will be infected. It's like, oh, my goodness, right? (laughs) It's like something's hanging over, you know, the world because no one has escaped this. I think I I read that a city, I think Fresno had to shut down the city, like shut it all the way down, like, like the stuff you see in the movies. Because the disease is spreading so quickly there. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, Sarah, maybe this would be a good time to talk about home for the holiday. Not home for the holidays. Is it home for the holidays? Yeah, home for the holidays is our um, <laughs> our sort of holiday Colossus Homes holiday special. Um, mm-hmm. Because there is a lot of pain. This whole year has been very painful, um, and I feel like the pandemic has. Um, 
you know, helped us see much more clearly the injustice and disparities in, you know, the United States of America, which is, you know, one of the richest countries in the world. Um, And uh, there are a lot of people who, you know, have lost people and a lot of people who are at most, you know, at heightened risk right now. And one of the groups is incarcerated folks and their families. And so the Home for the Holidays holiday special that Colossus Home has right now is um, a special where you buy a set of two books of um, Colossus Home. And um, when you buy the Colossus Home package, um, the purchaser gets one book. And the second book in the pair goes to um, an incarcerated person um, who, you know, may not be getting any kind of gifts this season. And um, one of the reasons we were able to do this is because of uh, our connection with you, Wanda. And uh, the idea for the Home for the Holidays package came from our conversation um, a few weeks ago about, you know, sending books, um, sending copies of Colossus Home to incarcerated folks. So um, we're really hoping that people will go to our website, which is colossuspress.org, and um, buy the Home for the Holidays package so that we can um, continue to send books to folks um, who are incarcerated right now um, during this pandemic and are super vulnerable because there is no way to be socially distant in that setting and it doesn't seem like the institutions are taking the care that they could. So, mm-hmm. Right, oh. yeah, because I think you mailed off um, five books um, just the other day, um, Sarah, yeah. and that um, people will get them before Christmas, which is awesome. Yeah, the only thing tomorrow. is, yeah, yeah, they arrive at the prisons, and, and the prisons that um, um, that Sarah sent the books to um are the uh, Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla, California, Central Valley. You know, you just think food, you know, and where it's grown. That's where it's grown. Like you could drop a seed and not even cover it, and a a big beanstalk would grow. It's like that kind of soil. But the folks that are incarcerated don't even get a chance to eat that good food. And the water is contaminated, you know, or maybe you didn't Mm -hmm. know. So it's just like really horrific, and uh, I hope the books get – out of the mailroom into their hands because it's it's really arbitrary uh, sort of whether or not a person gets the mail that you send to them. Yes. It's not like, yes. It's not like a guaranteed thing. It might be sitting in the mailroom until someone feels so moved to deliver it. And in the, me- in the meantime, um, the infection is continuing there. And and it's brought in from outside, from the people that work outside, bringing the infection into um, these spaces where, you know, the the prison is run by those that are incarcerated there. So they're doing all the food services, they're doing the cleaning, you know, they're doing, you know, all of all of the work. Except, you know, they don't have the guns and the keys to things. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's really precarious. And then um, I think. Uh, Another book went to um uh to uh the um high desert 
uh, which is mm-hmm. north of, of here. It's almost it's almost in Nevada. That's a men's prison. Uh, what do you call it? It's a uh, level four, which means um, people who get incarcerated there. Um, it's a uh, it's a prison that doesn't have allow a lot of movement because of the uh, the points that the persons have that are convicted that go there. Um, uh, supposedly, you know, violent crimes, and uh, and then uh, book or books went to the women at the uh, California um, Institute for Women in Southern California in Chino, and uh, and I write I write women mostly, and I have one one uh, friend, <laughs> uh, one guy that I write, and uh, he wrote me because he was advocating for an elder who was. Um, uh, semi-literate who was coming up for parole this summer and he needed some support and so he wanted me to get some information uh, for his friend um, from All of Us or None um, and Legal Services for Prisoners with Children um, two organizations as well as California Coalition for Women Prisoners which is which are housed at the, uh, the Movement Center uh, which is um, in North Oakland and it's a really wonderful organization which um, uh, everyone who works there, uh, it employs people who were formerly incarcerated. The building was re- rehabbed by formerly incarcerated persons. And, you know, uh, the uh, executive director, um, Dorsey Nunn, is formerly incarcerated. And it's just, just wonderful, just sort of the, you know, when once we can move around again, for people to just go check out the space. And in the meantime, you can visit them online. And, and see how you can get plugged in, because the more of us that remember, um, you know, our our housed, unhoused, you know, underhoused, <laughs> and incarcerated populations, the more resources that will go to these particular constituencies, because out of sight is literally out of mind. Yeah, I was thinking this morning. Um, that now that vaccines are available, it's really important to off- make sure that our state is prioritizing incarcerated folks and the people mm-hmm. who work in those institutions because we really need to protect that population because it is very vulnerable. I know I read this morning that states are deviating from the CDC guidelines in distributing the vaccines and Massachusetts has prioritized its incarcerated population for an early round of vaccines. And I really want to applaud that decision. And I'm hoping that California will follow that mm-hmm. decision and, and also prioritize those populations because those folks need that vaccine uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then you think about the ages of the people that are incarcerated. We have a we have a really um we have an elder a lot of elders that are incarcerated. Um a lot of elder women, a lot of people that have um existing conditions, you know, heart trouble. It you know, prison is not good for your health. Um living no, on the street very, is not very good for your health. Detrimental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. Are you look at people that need to be prioritized. Right, right, because, you know, you look at people who are, you know, on the street, um, who are under house, and it's chilly outside, right? And you think, mm-hmm. 
you can't even tell how old a person is because, you know, human beings were not meant to live these kind of lives, and so it, it ages a person. Mm-hmm. It also affects one's, you know, mental health, um, both scenarios. Definitely. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine, because um, I've been homeless, but we had money, so we were in hotels, or we were couch surfing, but we never were, like, out of doors on park benches or, um, you know, sitting on a bench, you know, waiting for the bus to start running again so we could get on it. Um, you know, we, we, we didn't have that situation when my family was homeless multiple times. Uh, we would go to a mm-hmm. hotel and stay there for, I don't know, a long time. I can't remember the details because we started being unhoused when I was young, and I don't remember the details. But then you kind of, like, block those kind of things anyway. Um, but I think maybe it might be another time for some poetry. Okay. Um, should I go first, Carla? Do you want to go first? You might as well. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, um, my poem in the book is called Umbilical Home. First there was an ember, a splintered spark, moment of catch, germination. Each history roots in unique terrain, unfurls from an umbilical home. We creatures are tender fruit, always vigilant. We listen for the peripheral call, nod recognition along this distant music, humming us back our crooked rambles, laments anthems or jingles. Some songs pulse the crackle in evening fires, surge a laughing cacophony of wing-filled flocks, croon the caress of newborn grass, tease with jump rope rhymes, smack and giggle sun-warm schoolyards. Some of us are sung in deep shade. Our songs whisper a memory of absence. Perpetual canons chronicle the weight of empty arms. Our symphonies rage, eruptions of fear, violence marbles, fragile hearts. Our tunes are toxic, flickers of blue flame. Poison rises in feathered rivulets, catches the ankle of every escape. Each song is a singular vessel, tenacious, not immutable. We could compose new hymns and sing them brash from porches, balconies, and fire escapes. Let's sing for a constant, an endless offering, place of return, of rhythmic possibilities, licked wounds. Sing the smell of oranges, a kiss to the nape of a worry-wound neck, refuge for dreams and remade plans, a refrain whole enough to hold all the tears, laughter, fight, and midnight snacks we gather to rock ourselves to sleep. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That was beautiful. We gather to rock ourselves to sleep. <clears throat> Carla, do you have one? Or two? Sure, I have one. I'll read mine also from the collection uh, called Prisms. Um, 
Three pelicans darkly hover on jagged crags below. Long-necked water birds dip down under ocean swell. From behind a heaving boulder, raven appears and sparrow signals. A billowing breeze crosses my path. Clouds shift to sun and salt. Mist blend, shimmering rainbows materialize. Spectrum caressing the deep waves, a perfect arc. Seagull circles unsteadily, grasps seaweed tight in beak. Gray clouds heavy with rain, pregnant for showers. Clear the path with its deluge. Tide ebbs and flows, earth song in and out of breath. Under the freeway in my car, pause. Glimpses of lives open, creating space from walls of curtains, wooden pallets, cardboard, a woman on a worn love seat, beige brown mud spattered, smokes a Winston in her bra, white straps tight on brown skin, fleshy arm draped casually over the back, chin tilted proudly with the exhale. Hmm. Thank you. Ah, thank you. Yeah, I like those birds. <laughs> um, so I was wondering, do you all have a few more minutes? Because I wanted to share a couple, if you don't mind. Oh, I am totally excited to hear the ones you shared, Wanda. Yeah, oh, cool. that's lovely. Yeah. Okay, super. Um, and I want to ask, um, let me see, if one of you could read... Um, uh, if one of you could read James Cagney's bio, because um, I'm holding um, Deborah um, L. Fruchet's with my finger. <laughs> but I'm going to read James Cagney's um, What Remains Eternal first. <laughs> sure, I can okay. read it. Great, okay. thanks, Carla. James Cagney, Oakland, California, has been published in Poetry Daily, the Maynard Civil Liberties United, and Silver Pinion, among others. His first book, Black Steel Magnolias in the Honor, Hour of Chaos Theory, is the winner of the Penn Oakland 2019 Josephine Miles Award and is available at nomadicpress.org. His writing is found at the Dirty Rat dot blog. Okay. <laughs> what Remains Eternal by James Cagney. A friend, a fence, a dog playing catch with rocks. Our names in port sirens snatching down night's velveteen cloak. A clothesline, a rotary phone, a drawer flaking blue chip stamps. A hand-me-down quilt shedding panels in wintry leaves. A plum switch, an ice tray, a fish tank spray cleaned on the lawn with a hose. Our valiant pets, their prescriptions of grass and grandpa scratching his back on a post. Sears catalog, mint and menthol, the coppery spice of a leather church purse. Closets crammed with uniforms, shoe shine kits, rooms glittering in framed photographs and dust catchers, iron skillets, sage, bell pepper, laundry baskets of Raw collars and onions, eggs denote spirit, their drunken art drizzling down our smoke-yellow walls. 
And the second one, Containers by Deborah L. Uh, Fouché. Uh, she is the author of five books and editor of another five. Her books include poetry, comedy, romance, self-help, and flash fiction. Her first novel was chosen as a best book by the American Booksellers Association in 1987. And you can visit her website, www.lafruche.net. The city is an eyescape of upward boxes, especially lovely by lamplight, every window promising warmth, people like you, parties inside. But really, those lights come from empty boxes, dingy boxes, boring boxes, plastered, postered, carpeted cubicles, not one of them meant for creature comfort. None of them big enough for a life where day by day you're told to think outside the box because in business, friend, the box is all you get. If you work hard when dark and cold come to the streets below, then small beneath those stacks of blocks, you scurry to your private box. One of your own, wallpapered or filled up with smoke, with friends perhaps, but that's not guaranteed, and they go home. A box with fireplace, perhaps, and on the wall some art or just cockroaches. The contract says you get to have the box till you run out of cash or die. It doesn't specify if anyone will ever want to share your box or whether you'll be happy there or safe from crime or suicide. A city stacked with not enough boxes for everyone. But if you're in luck, the empty box, that is all you're ever promised. So that was uh, Deborah L. Fouché. It's like, wow, isn't that a beautiful, visceral uh, illustration. Yeah, that's a great yeah. poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder mm-hmm. if you're going to read yours, Wanda. Yeah, we want to hear yours, Wanda. <laughs> oh, you do? Okay. Let me see. You know, I Definitely. <laughs> and before, while Wanda's finding hers, I just want to remind people that uh, we're still selling the book, and we really um, we have our Home for the Holidays special. And the thing is, is like, it would be so amazing if we could um, raise just another bit of money. Sarah's already donated. We, Colossus Press has already donated 2500 to Moms for Housing, and we're hoping to donate a little bit more before the year ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think, did you have a goal of, what, 5000 8000 What was your goal, Sarah? Um, our goal is $8,000 if we sell okay. all the books that we printed. And okay. so it's an ambitious goal, but um, we're just going to keep selling them until um, until they're all sold. And But we're really mm-hmm. hoping to sell as many as we can as quickly as we can because one of the things that ha- that's happening with Moms for Housing is the house on Magnolia Street is um, – being uh, converted into a transitional space for women and children. Um, And so we want to really give them the support they need right now to make that happen. And it takes a lot to convert a house 
into that kind of space. So mm-hmm. um, we want to support them with that effort. So, um, yeah, and people, again, can get the book through our website at um, www.colossuspress.org. So um, we hope you buy it and support um, housing justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember when um, we lived um, on a market, 16th of Market, and um, before we were evicted, and I was trying to buy a house on Magnolia because um, I'm from Louisiana, from New Orleans, and um, Magnolia is our state flower. It's also the state flower of Mississippi. <laughs> so when I when I hear the word magnolia, I, I can I can smell the the word because magnolias are ah oh, they're beautiful and they're also fragrant. Um, so what a what a great place to have you know a transitional home uh, established there. And then thinking about you know land trust and just the whole thinking around around stability and and securing public space for affordable housing forever, um, which is what happened, you know, when these miles for housing, moms for housing, you know, stood up and, and, and you know, and, and demanded their human right to shelter because it is a mm-hmm. human right. You know, shelter is not something that you get if you're lucky. No, you get it because you're a human being and you have rights. You know, yeah. shelter, housing food, is a human right. Safety, you know, education. I mean, there are a whole lot. Of, of basic and housing rights. makes all of those other things more possible. Like mm-hmm. When you have a place that's that's your home, that's safe, then you can, you know, cook your own food rather than you know having to buy food or you know fast food or you know go to soup kitchens. You can like make your own healthy food. Um, mm-hmm. And you can also focus on your education, or children can focus on their own education, and you have a place to keep your clothing and to relax and to be safe. So housing really is a basic, basic right and the start of everything, you know, at least mm-hmm. in my view. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, and you both, you're both mothers, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to, you know, reflect on that. <laughs> you know, being moms with you know, you both have daughters, um and um and you know, just the idea of I know I know a lot of times you know, when I meet we'd meet, because Carly, you were a part of the offset movement, you know, loving humanity into wholeness and we go out and we, you know, serve hot meals um monthly to our uh underhoused and unhoused um citizenry in, in uh Oakland on um on West Street. Um, you know, way down in the lower bottoms, and and I, you know, we met a lot of a lot of mothers who didn't have their children anymore because when you don't have housing, if the state finds out about it, um, you'll lose your child. And it's not necessarily that that's a bad thing that you your child will get housing. The losing part is bad, but the situation that your child inherits because the mother or the father doesn't have um, the wherewithal to house the child. It's not a good situation always because we don't have a good uh, foster care system. So, you know, that's kind of scary as well. So I just wanted to know if, you know, you all want to give a shout-out to your to your daughters, um, to your your moms, to your, your relations <laughs> in this moment, you know? 
Well, definitely for me, um, I want to give a shout-out to my mom, who's always been an inspiring um, movement person in the movement for change and um, has always, you know, taken radical stands, especially in Hawaii where there's also homeless problems with the indigenous people there. Mm. And although my mom is African-American, there are these unifying causes such as housing, which unifies us as mothers or people of color um, or, you know, black women specifically. So I want to shout out to my mom, Catherine Takara, and my daughter, who um, also is now um, Asha. You know, she doesn't like me to talk about her very much, but she's interested in um, housing policy now as her future career. So, you know, I do believe that um, as we bring these things to light and we talk about them, um, you know, small but incremental things start to happen. Um, So... And then just to add on to that, Sarah and I definitely met as mothers. Um, both of our daughters were at Peralta Elementary School, and that's how Sarah and I became friends. And um, what's kind of true is that Sarah and I are luckily both, We, well, I'm a single mom, and Sarah um, and I are both homeowners, and we um have helped and supported each other navigating through the things that come up, you know, it's not easy to, to sustain a home. And I think there needs to be more of that, more education to first time homeowners, um, even to renters. Um, uh, My daughter has this crazy idea of like, what is the responsibility of a landlord when you're renting to someone, you know, where, do you just evict people or do you kind of have a responsibility to support people as they transition out? And so there are all these new ways we could come together as community to support each other and not see housing as like just a business, you know, it's more than a business. And so I think that might be a new way of thinking. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of just talking off the top of my head, but those are things that, we think about and talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, your reflections. Um, well, um, I definitely want to um, give a shout out to my own mom, who um, is no longer living, you know, on this plane of existence. Um, but she definitely has been a inspiration to me she you know was someone who worked you know her whole life and was one of the very first women to work in the technical side of film in southern california in the i think she started in the early 1950s and so she was always sort of an inspiration to me as far as you know definitely giving me the idea that you know women can go everywhere and do anything that they put their minds to. Um, And so she was very inspirational to me in that way. Um, And my daughters are, you know, such wonderful sources of inspiration and support, um, both artistically and politically. They're very politically, you know, outspoken and, you know, very 
eloquent at challenging preconceived notions, you know, that I've had just even, you know, as a social worker, you know, they're like, well, why do you think that? And why should that be a limitation, you know? And, um, you know, my younger daughter, particularly Zoe is, um, environmental activist and, um, I think I've thought a lot from our converse, my conversations with her just about the planet and as our home. And um, it's a home we're not taking care of. And it's a home that we, you know, definitely want to be able to pass down to future generations. And we want to take care of our home. And I think um, some of our culture looks at... Um, the planet as more of like an endless resource, which it's not. So it's time to definitely give back and support and nurture the health of our planet the way we would take care of any home that we had. Um, so, you know, definitely I feel like my daughters are an inspiration to me and a reason to keep, you know, fighting for a world I want them to have in the future and for them mm-hmm. to live in and for their children, should they have any, to have. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, Sarah, why don't you give give the website again? Um, it is colossuspress.org. And, um, you know, you can read about, you know, our first uh, uh, immigration justice um, chapbook there and more about this and also purchase um, this Colossus Home and hopefully through the Home for the Holidays offer so that we can continue to donate books. And we have a bunch more books that we have to donate to folks who are incarcerated um, right now, but we're hoping to keep doing that and to also just have you know other people share this amazing work and support Moms for Housing. And we want to hear your poems. Love okay, that. sure. Yeah, I've been procrastinating here. Um, <laughs> and, and also I wanted to mention that, um, you know, we have sent um, books into um, the Juvenile um, Justice Center, you know, really the kid prison um, in San Leandro. And, and there are children that are locked up, and they are locked up as young as 12, 13 years old. Most of them are little kids that are locked up for a variety of reasons. Like maybe they don't have a safe place to be, um, but or maybe you know the incident that the presenting incident was horrific. Um, but anyway, the whole idea that we've got children in cells, right? Um, uh, it's it's just crazy making. But yeah, there there are children. Um, you can wrap your eye, wrap your your mind around that. That are locked up. Um, so you know, just just think about that. Um, uh, in the 21st century, that we have children, little girls, and little boys behind bars. Um, and while I'm flipping to my poem, um, I was wondering if either of you know of any particular, um, any kind of uh, organizations or or any kind of like you know people doing anything during this holiday season, like between December 25th and January 1st, going out, you know, any if people are interested in putting together, like, care packages 
because um, when we were um, doing um, breakfasts, you know, people really liked the Christmas candy and other types of goodies like that, and and we gave people holiday cards and they liked those things and and the poem about socks, yeah, people really do like socks and beanies and gloves and because you know there are no washing machines, so you kind of like run through those type of items. Uh, do you know of any any uh, organizations that you might be a part of or participating in that are doing anything for for this particular season with our underhoused and houseless folks? Well, that's. Um, are you talking about in Oakland? Uh yeah. Mm-hmm. But San Francisco is fine too. You know the Bay Area, mm-hmm. um, Contra Costa, San Francisco mm-hmm. City County, Oakland, Alameda County. Um. So I currently uh, work with Eight Two Six Valencia, and okay, we yeah. just had a beautiful toy drive. Um, actually, I work. Uh, my center is located out of the TNDC which is a Tenderloin um, Neighborhood Development Corporation. So it's a a home where we have multiple um, income um, families and mostly um, under-resourced or lower-income families in the building. And so we were able to put out a call um, and get toys for 129 families, which is actually what I was doing on Monday. I felt like our volunteer base was so amazing. They just donated... um, toys and um, we uh, gift cards to um, targets that we were able to provide family with some food. I know Gus's donated chickens. So we've been working really hard at 826 Valencia to um, to support our families both in the Tenderloin and in um, the Mission and Mission Bay, and so um, it's been really a beautiful outpouring of generosity towards um, our organization. And um, But in terms of Oakland, when I was at San Francisco and I was thinking about the support that um, 8 to 6 Valencia has throughout the um, Bay Area, I was thinking about, like, that kind of outpouring, I'd love to see it here in Oakland, you know, in Oakland, it feels like we as a whole city have less resources and um, I sometimes think about that um, professionally. So I'll leave it on the positive. It was a super beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And Sarah, do you know of anything? Um, I think a lot of the the Coalition on Homelessness and um, other organizations that are providing Christmas meals and provided Thanksgiving meals, Salvation Army, a lot of organizations are trying to alter the processes to keep things safe for both the volunteers and their employees, as well as continuing to provide food and services for folks. But there are less less things going on. I definitely was um, at work earlier this week and last week and talked to many of my um, clients that I work with, and they said that they're noticing that there used to be churches and other organizations that would come and pass out things like socks and um, Mm -hmm. that that, you know, the streets are pretty empty, you know, which is an important thing to do to stop the spread of the pandemic. 
Um, so uh, one uh, very local organization that I would shout out to see if people can support is um, at 37th and MLK in Oakland, um, right near the MacArthur BART. There is a community of um, disabled and um, unhoused elders, and they have uh, been living on a particular piece of land on that corner, and they've been lucky enough, some of them have been able to, um, the organization has built some tiny homes for them, but I know that that organization, if people wanted to support them, they have a, a Facebook page, 37MLK, and um, uh, that is a very local organization that people can support. And um, one thing I think of, as a, I guess, as a social worker is that, you know, unhoused folks are our neighbors. They are part, you know, right here in our communities. And, you know, it's okay if you do it politely and respectfully to, if you see someone who looks like they could use a meal or some socks or a blanket to just say, hey, would you like this? And, you know, if they need that or could use that, they'll probably thank you and take it. So, you know, it's really okay to talk to unhoused people, definitely doing it from a very respectful place because, you know, that is something that I think is really important to let people know that, you know, unhoused folks are our neighbors. And, you know, I think if we could really treat unhoused folks as though they are our neighbors and are our community and are our family members, we could have a very different world. And, you know, I definitely have relatives who are unhoused and have been unhoused for a while. And, um, you know, I know that my unhoused relatives would really love just socks or something from one of their neighbors. So, mm. uh, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Okay. <laughs> I am going to read this poem um, about the attached to blackness. <laughs> but I also wanted to mention um, as another uh, really wonderful um, organization is um, – uh, the Village Project, uh, Adrian Williams' organization, and she puts on the annual Seven Days of Kwanzaa beginning on Umoja, which is December 26th. And this year it's going to be virtual. However, um, there's real food that you can pick up. So um, when you register um, for the um, uh, for the, the different programs, which are going to be broadcast in um, on Facebook and YouTube, et cetera, you can actually pick up a meal, a really good meal, um, every day of that week uh, at different places. So I just wanted to mention, um, you know, that we know that food security is not necessarily something that some people have housing, but they don't have enough food. So, so this is an opportunity for folks to be able to eat well as they watch these wonderful programs. Again, if you go to the... Um, uh, the Village Project, and there'll be a link there for the Eventbrite um, registration, and you can get um, registered for the meals as well. Okay, and you can um, find out this information um, on my website, wandaspix.com. 
Those references to burial sites is lost, perhaps to those with shovels. But for those persons whose ancestors wanted dead, not alive, once stock options expired, could not miss the six feet apart references. Six feet under, six feet. I walk among the dead. I am a ghost. A ghost with possibility extinguished at birth. Six feet under, I see Ken swimming nowhere. Anchors attached to nooses, attached to pre-existing conditions like covenants and expired insurance policies. There's mythology attached to blackness like we don't swim, we just drown. Perhaps the tears we tend to wallow in create sinkholes. Jaws open, swallowed, we swim inside a belly. Dark, we search for light and find more darkness. The mythology attached to a narrative of supremacy, one where black people are not people. You know, we die, but not with dignity afforded even beasts, domesticated pets. This mythology attached to blackness leaves my people alone, isolated, looked upon with contempt. Systems supported by cheap labor spin on wheels oiled by dispensable humanity black mythology. People step off curbs, yell expletives. It would be funny except for Baba Emmett, it was too late. The joke, white people have no humor. Six feet under, Emmett's body chained to narratives that say black boys don't get to grow up. Black people as surplus. Emmett linked to a genetic circuit passed through inheritance. Auction blocks and stocks Marketed differently now with the same result. COVID-19, Corona, Crown. Beheaded, black people stumble into graves six feet under, six feet below sea level. We reach for sky and find more dirt, gravel, broken ladders and distilled promises. Even with pink supermoon, its largesse was only an illusion. The moon is still 238,855 miles from the earth and even further from the sun, 93 million miles away. Even though it looks close like broken legislative amendments to an anemic constitution, justice sitting with her sister Liberty, both marooned on an island off the coast of a big apple. Apples laced with poisonous promises, black mythology. It's a question of resilience, if only, but we don't. Black people don't bounce. We jump, remember? We run, remember? Chased, we cannot slow down except through death. Running is what people do who are alive. Walking is for the dead. Those bounce like boomerangs, Sankofa symbols and pyramids. We do return. Blackness indivisible, permanent like dark matter that births life. But this is a philosophical wonder that has limited practicality as one is running from police or stopped at a red light or unmasked in the face of COVID-19. Top soil, pressure cookers, steam kettles, tip over historic landmarks six feet under. Applied racism like applied math is practical. Resilience looks like hypertension, prostate cancer, liver disease, sugar diabetes, 
kidney stones, tumors, glaucoma, gout, renal failure, asthma, persistent trauma. Inside the belly of greedy monster, we take small breaths, disappear or at least try to with passwords etches, etched in DNA. Swallow stinging nettle to stop itching. Racism covers epidermis. Solitary confinement shelter in place anxiety. We are magic. I think I remember a poem about magic. Oh, yes. Joy Holland spoke about magic and voodoo and blackness in one sentence. I count steps just as I time hand-washing rituals. Out, spot. The queen said. However, when she looked, her hands were off, were still covered in blood. This nation is covered in blood. Cleanliness is a myth too, like blackness. <laughs> ah, thank you. I love that poem. Thank you, Wanda. Wanda. I totally love that poem too. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't read that poem in a minute. Um, yeah, this is Colossus Home, an anthology of lies in and out of place, edited by Sarah Bill and Carla Brundage, is is a gift. It is so beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, whether one is adequately housed, unhoused, or looking, <laughs> it's it's got something for you, you know, because home is something, you know, it's not a thing, it's it's a concept, you know, it's a right. Um, you know, we could be sheltered but not be home, right? Um, home is a destination. Uh, and home is also something that's you know, we can't quite wrap our minds around and the words don't really depict what home means to each of us because, you know, it's personal home. You know, home is the people that you live with, you know, you know, home is the smells you know, the good ones and the bad ones. Home is warmth. <laughs> I mean, home is a lot of things, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and this book, you know, is like, it's not that thick, but it kind of covers the terrain very well. And for those that like pictures, it's well illustrated. It's got, like, so many great pictures. And I yeah, love the poems that are on pictures. That's, I mean, it's just the layout is just phenomenal. Did you do this, Sarah and Carla? Did you lay it out? Um, um, Fred Dodsworth. Is our was mm. our amazing layout editor, and you know, mm-hmm. just you know, a lot of the force behind you know how this book came into came into being. Um, definitely, sort of the midwife of this book, and um, so yeah, he did all of the layout, which was such an amazing gift, and volunteered all his time, all the many hours, um, and all mm-hmm. the many changes <laughs> that we made. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's great. And I also want to give a shout-out to um, Frances Baker, who is mm-hmm. um, an Oakland-based artist, photographer, um, who did our cover image and the images for all the beginnings of the sections, which are the um, where we have poems um, layered on top of the beautiful images. So his artwork is incredible, and all throughout the book, as well as Angela Wellman's beautiful photos, and um, Kendra Dodsworth has some amazing photos in there and um, photos of her paintings. And Carla has some incredible photos that she's taken. 
So there, you know, this is a book of poetry and nonfiction and short stories and also really beautiful images and photographs and illustrations. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So everyone needs to go to the website. And uh, what is the website again? <laughs> um, ColossusPress.org. .org, the .com. So, right. um, yeah. yeah, please, um, please buy our book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we want to help you make your $8,000 first printing run goal. Um, yeah, so we've got like a week or so left, a little more than a week for people mm-hmm. to, you know, go to that website and buy those books up. Yeah. I mean, that yes. would be great to go into 2021 with no more books going into the second <laughs> hour. That would be, that cool. would be great. <laughs> but we'll also, you know, keep your eyes open on Facebook and Instagram, and um, we'll have some other events coming up, um, especially once um, our surge has uh, hopefully not – we'll stop surging and maybe – towards the summer when we can be outside and maybe find ways to gather safely. We can have some Mm. in-person events as well as the online events that we have been having. Right. And we have a Facebook page as well. So, um, Okay. Cool. Cool. So, did we get all the announcements in? Um, are there any year-end readings happening, or, or have they all happened? They have happened for now, but keep your eyes open. You never know. We may have some more <laughs> um, once um, once the spring starts. Okay. All righty. Cool, cool. Well, congratulations to both of you. It's a beautiful book. I'm really happy that I have something in it. And looking forward to the next project. Do you want to say anything about it, just to wet people's imagination, just in case they want to con- maybe consider contributing to the next group, next uh, next project for Colossus Press? Uh, yes. Um, um, we are sort of getting organized um, to do another Colossus anthology. And, um, you know, as we've been talking a lot in this um interview in the last hour or so um you know the the situation for incarcerated folks is another point that you know we need to create a lot of change um and so uh the way incarceration affects um individuals and families is something that i think some of us in the colossus of community have been talking a lot about and so that is very likely the focus of our next uh, anthology so again you know you can look at our Facebook page um, or our website because we will be putting out a call sometime in the spring for uh, work somewhere around that theme we're still trying to um, do some organizing and um, look into funding to help us make um, that book um, as wonderful as this one is. Um, and also we may have some other things, uh, other events and workshops around that issue. Um, and um, so, you know, keep, keep, keep checking back with us. <laughs> right, right. Well, you all have a good, um, a good rest of the day and a good rest of the week and a fabulous um, uh end of the year celebrations, felicitations and moving into the next iteration of 
of, you know, this cycle that we're on <laughs> as, as long as we're breathing on this side of the uh of the veil. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's really really good to be artists, you know. Um cause always, you know, we can make stuff out of nothing. <laughs> and 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 you know, and fool people into saying it's beautiful, right? And then they, and then the more they think it's beautiful, the more it is beautiful because it just reflects who they are. <laughs> oh, and art is, you know, such a helpful way to process, you know, the difficult mm-hmm. things that are happening and and the wonderful things. But um, I always feel really grateful yeah. for the creative process to support. Mhm. Yeah. Certainly. Certainly. Well, you all take good care. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll have to have you on Thank again. Thank you, Wanda. It's really fun. Oh, you're quite welcome. <laughs> you both take good care. Bye, Sarah. Thank you, Bye, Wanda. Bye-bye. Bye. You're welcome.
This is my new new theme song. Imani Coppola's uh just feels good. Um love that song. Just love it. It is so like, yeah, I just love the lyrical content. It's just like, oh yes. I can meditate on that. Um I I heard the song first uh at a in a film, uh Juanita, which stars uh Alfred Woodard and she's a a single mother of grown adults who um are depending a little bit too much on her and so she figures that she needs to leave town. She doesn't know where she's going. She just trap getting on a bus and traveling west. She's working as a nurse and um has never been to California and so she gets on the bus heading that way and she stops off, you know, in a mountain town which doesn't quite work out, but she meets this really nice um truck driver, a woman, uh and and she takes her to this place. Um I think it's called Paper Something. Um, it's a fictional place. And there she finds herself and, you know, sort of, you know, for finally, you know, feels like free and unburdened and, and things kind of work out. She, you know, she falls in love and it's all really great. They're on indigenous people's land. And, yeah, it's just a really, really beautiful film. I highly recommend it. And this song, you know. Just feels good is um, is uh, in the soundtrack. I think it might be the closing song, and I really liked. I went to YouTube and I watched the uh, the music video, and it's nice too. It looks like some of it takes place here in San Francisco at the Gay Pride Parade, but uh, it might be another Gay Pride Parade somewhere else in the country. But it was it's really nice. And uh, while I'm speaking of um, you know films, I I know everyone has heard about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, you know, a part of the uh, Denzel Washington's um, 10-picture deal with HBO that has now moved to Netflix. And uh, they started out with Fences in 2013, which um, which also featured um, uh, Viola Davis. And, uh, and Viola Davis, you know, she definitely channels Ma Rainey, um, you know, the, bird, the mother of the blues, who um, was, wow, I just, my favorite, favorite August Wilson play of all times is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is the title of one of her songs, Black Bottom. And and the reason why I love Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and that particular story is because, you know, this woman, you know, is navigating a terrain that wants her to believe that she is nothing and she knows that she is, you know, the fuel in the engine uh, of this music um, industry, and she knows her worth, and she is not letting these white guys, um, you know, take her uh, for granted. And um, and then within the same story, you know, there's this youngster um, who is portrayed by Chadwick Boseman, um, who's coming up, who's carrying a lot of a lot of um, a lot of trauma you know, um, from when he was a child, 10 years old, when, um, you know, he witnessed his mother being violated and then his father, you know, sort of uh, responding to that. Um, And, you know, it was a stand that he took that took him away from his family as well. And and so, um, so, you know, we carry these things. um, We, you know, if they're not resolved and... um, 
And it's just really unfortunate that, um, you know, the character that um, Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman plays, you know, he's not able to um, uh, to be mentored. Um, his name is Levy. Um, you know, think about Levy's, right? Levy's in, in Louisiana didn't hold back the water, right? So, you know, this this kid has the name Levy, and um, and and he's not able to take advantage of Ma Rainey's um, expertise because he gets, you'll see in the film, you know, uh, it's, it's really tragic what happens, you know, to him. But, um, yeah, it's really beautifully made. Um, they... You know, August Wilson plays are kind of long. They're like operas, you know. There <laughs> are moments in black history, and you can't rush that stuff. But in the film, I was really surprised at how tight, you know, it is, how the editing and the writing and the cinematography is just phenomenal. The music, oh, my goodness. Grandfather Marcellus, I think he's the musical director, is like, ah. Uh, and he said that Chadwick Boseman, um, he asked him, you know, for the fingering on on the trumpet or the flugelhorn, so that you know he could have it right for the various songs. He's not playing the songs, but he's playing the songs. And similarly, um, Viola Davis, she's not singing; someone else is singing, but you wouldn't know it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just and you know the other men in the band, um, you know Coleman Domingo. Like I see that brother everywhere. He is like really, really good too. And um, yeah, it's it's really really well done. So I highly recommend that you um you check it out. And then um Brian Coltman's um uh really wonderful uh story uh one woman play, one man play. Um the music box is up at SF Playhouse um virtually of course. <laughs> and uh and you can catch that. And I heard that the SF Mime Troupe is doing something for the holidays. And I'm, I know that's virtual, and you could do that. You can go to their website and check it out. Let's see what else is happening. What else do I have in my notes? Uh, oh, I wanted to remind folks that another Hole in the Head Film Festival is continuing um, through the 27th, and you don't want to miss some of those fabulous films. Oh my goodness, there's some really, really good films. I have really been enjoying myself, and I don't like scary movies, but there's some great documentaries. There's some great short films, and. Uh, they're they're even comedies. Um yeah, it's it's a really good great great selection of work. I think there's like seventy or so plus films. Um yeah, the uh the curators of the festival did a magnificent job. And then they have the live programs as well. So, um yeah, so you don't wanna miss that. Um and again, I'm gonna definitely highlight the uh San Francisco um uh Kwanzaa celebration, uh curated by um, the um, Village Project. And if you go to wandaspicks.com, I have a link to the Eventbrite um, selection of all of the Kwanzaa events that are that are listed through Eventbrite. I have a link to that so you can find it easily. And I have highlighted a couple. Um, there are some that are happening um, during the Kwanzaa season in New York at the Lansing Hughes House that look really interesting to me. And I'm going to try to find, if I can find a link to Kwanzaa happening outside of this country, you know, Kwanzaa happening perhaps, you know, in Ghana, in Accra, at the uh, Du Bois Center. That would be really nice. So so anyway, um, just check back, 
you know, follow WandasPicks.com and you won't miss out on anything. And, oh, I want to mention that the Silicon Valley Dance Festival opening last week, the 19th, I didn't catch the 20th. It was phenomenal, and you should be so happy that you can watch it now on demand. So that's also on Wanda's Picks um, website. You don't want to miss it. It was incredible. And it's only an hour long, you know, so it's like, whoa, really, 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 really well done, beautiful. And... um, and I'm actually going to close with an interview with Robert Moses, Sidra Bell, and Baba Tunji Johnson, Baba Tunji Johnson, who are all a part of the Silicon Valley Dance Festival. Um, uh, Robert Moses and Sidra Bell have worked in the uh, December 19th um, program, and Baba Tunji Johnson is a part of that particular program as well because he is dancing um, with. Um, uh, the uh is it Zeru? Uh let me let me look. <laughs> Make sure I pronounce it correctly. Um Silicon Valley. Uh yeah. It's um the festival is, is uh titled Renewal and um and I am um let's see. It's um it's hosted by Zeru Dance uh company and uh yeah, it's just really, really marvelous. What I loved about it, besides the great choreography, what I loved was the um, uh, the narratives. There were so many wonderful narratives uh, of, I mean, at the beginning of each performance, you know, we would see um, the choreographers talking about the work and its genesis and about the company. And and then in the piece, there was there were a lot of narratives. Um, there was a lot of storytelling, and um, one of my favorites uh, was the um, ODC Dance Company's um, "A Sleeping Beauty" remixed. You know, during COVID nineteen, remarkable. <laughs> I mean, absolutely remarkable. And then I loved Axis Dance Company. Oh my goodness, that particular company um, has people that have different. Uh, physical abilities, so you have people that are dancing, you know, with assistive technology like wheelchairs, you know, um, and uh, and then people with, you know, hidden disabilities, you know, dancing. And it's just, oh, my goodness, so, so, so wonderful. And then Robert Moses, Ken, um, his work, um, you know, set in these very, in place, I mean, just, uh, it was it was really, really awesome. Um yeah, it was very, very nice. And then I'm trying to think the word hope um, was a part of the landscape. Uh, and Zero, oh, my goodness, um, was just awesome. Um, Baba Tunji was in that particular piece, that particular uh, dance uh, composition. And in the landscape, and we were on, we were in mountains, you know, we were on, you know, in, in forests, you know, we were overlooking the water. It was just like, where are we? It's just so gorgeous. Where is this space? Um, yeah, yeah, that was really, really great. And it opened with Beijing uh, Dance uh, LDTX, um, and I had known them. So, yeah, yeah, the opening was really great. And then the the second day, which I wasn't able to see, um, but I'm going to go do it, um, I'm going to go see it in the uh, on-demand, um, featured... Um, 
emerging and up-and-coming artists. And so for more information, you can uh, visit Zero Dance, Z-I-R-U, dance.com. And again, I'm going to rebroadcast this wonderful conversation with um, the art makers themselves. So have a wonderful um, rest of the morning and day. And, um, you know, be well and, uh, you know, shake off all those things that don't serve you. Uh, And thanks so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. Peace and blessings, everybody. Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. So we just just pause, take a moment, take a deep breath, and as we exhale, exhale, sort of think about how we can exercise our options. So we are really excited today to speak to uh, a few choreographers and presenters at the current Silicon Valley Dance Festival, which is opening next week, December 19th and 20th. And then it's going to be um, having an on-demand presentation through January 3rd. So I believe, just from the area codes, <laughs> that uh, Baba Tunje uh, Johnson is in uh, the studio, perhaps? Or is yes, it Robert Yes, Mo? yes, Ah, Baba Tunde. Tunji, sorry. I'm, I'm looking yeah. at it and pronouncing it wrong. Cool, cool. When I, when I see Baba Tunji, I think about all the drummers I know with that name. <laughs> All like Baba, Baba Tunde, yes, yes. yeah, totally, totally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and I believe we also have uh, Sidra Bell. Oh, and there's Robert Moses. Uh, oh, are you with us? Oh, good. Yeah. Thank you. Just love all of those pieces that you have images of on your website. I'm like, oh man, I wish I could have been in the audience for that and that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, and I love the titles of your works too. It's like, oh, just really, really beautiful titles. And uh, Robert Moses, good morning. How are you? Hey, how you doing? I'm hey, fine. I'm thinking, man, hey. is, is it too early for you all, or or is it okay? Uh, it's too early for everybody. 
Hey, Doug, so just, hey, Doug, so just, it's too early for everybody. Doing good, doing but we're here good. because we want to call. Yes, yes. Oh, you're so kind. So I was just wondering, um, yeah, it's a little bit too early for me, too, um, today. Uh, <laughs> last week's classes, uh, yeah, doing a lot of catching up mm. reading papers. Um, I was wondering if maybe we could do like a check-in, and since you all, you know, you all are like, in your body people, you know, like you sort of stay in touch with that somatic aspect of yourselves. Uh, maybe we could do like a check-in and uh, and maybe invite the audience to uh, to participate mm. as, as we sort of become present for each other in, in this moment that we're, we're sharing. So whoever wants to go first can start with the check-in and uh, some kind of practice that you do, you know, as choreographers and dancers that, we could participate in um, as audience. I can start. Um, well, I'm I'm really interested in the heart space, and so I've been mm-hmm. doing a lot of work um, with uh, using my own sense of um, connectivity to my skin and breath to just find stillness at the beginning of my practice every day. So I encourage everyone to just find a few minutes. Um, to just stand and to breathe through the heart space and to put your hands on your heart and just close your eyes for a few moments and helping me in this time. Hello? Were you there? Yep. (laughs) Disconnect. Hello? Yeah, we're here. Oh, disconnecting to our disconnecting to our. I'm sorry, I didn't know we were actually we were actually in practice. <laughs> I told you guys it was. Funny. I'm sorry, I messed it up. Sorry, my phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's, it's, it's totally off. Yeah, I'm totally. so sorry. I take a breath and I go, oh my god. <laughs> all right, so I'm gonna back out. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few moments of that helps me every every day during this time of isolation. So someone else can go. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So yes, much. for me. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, I actually, I'm going to add that to what I do every morning. Because <laughs> um, every morning I, d- I wake up and I, I don't want to do things. And I know that I need to and should do things and have a responsibility to do things, but it's very easy to just fall into the comfort of chill um, instead of the fight of progress. And so I usually um, will do a quake in my body, shaking out and moving different parts of my body, leading from the ground all the way up to the top of my head. Um, And so I can guide people through that, but I definitely am going to, before I quake now, Sidra, I'm going to add in the heart space um, because that was calming for my mind in a different way. Um, But, yeah, so I usually be in standing, and I'll start with my feet, just stepping side to side, and every time when I stand on my left leg, I'll shake out my right leg 
when I stand on my right leg, I'll shake out my left leg. I'll just toss back and forth, back and forth, stepping between the two legs, planting both the feet, and just shaking the knees in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, quickly, but really, really relaxed and light, like a rag doll. Then I'll plie or bend my knees, and I'll just shake my hips side to side, side to side, side to side. And then I'll let that go up into my stomach, and I'll push my stomach out and in, out and in, out and in, out and in, bringing it up to my chest, shaking it side to side, side to side, side to side. And notice while I'm shaking my chest that my arms, if they're relaxed, do the shake themselves just because they're connected. And then I'll shake my head out. And I usually repeat that several different times. It helps me to definitely bring heat, which in my mind brings light. Um, and it makes it takes me from the state of stasis um, or, or cold, especially right now, uh, and, and brings me, I guess you'd say, more alive. And that's it. You can take it away, Robert. What would you do to get yourself oh. ready? Oh, you know, I actually, I'm sitting, as you guys are going through these, um, uh, your practices there, I'm saying, thinking, now, what do I, what do I do? I think my <laughs> practice, my practice is really attached to, I mean, if we're talking about the dance thing, it's really attached to being in the room with other people and sort of mm-hmm. uh, dealing with them in the, in the moment. Uh, and other, you know, the, the dance practice, but other things are, you know, have come up in whatever ways they come up. And I think one of the things I'm doing right now is trying to, uh, as you say, be where I am in the moment. And in the moment, it's, like, you know, sort of really refocusing, re-honing uh, the idea of what that is in this reality, that uh, it's not what it was, but the part of yourself that uh, that you need to feed from uh, from the work that we do. I just, I guess, I'm try. I just trying to find a way to reinforce that, and that's not necessarily a consistent thing. It's just that you know, it's like you feed the part of yourself that needs to be fed, and that happens in different ways. So I couldn't give you an actual uh, regular practice, physical thing for this moment, uh, because this moment has been uh, disturbed, disrupted, moved off center. But that doesn't mean that uh, you know we aren't finding new ways to make uh, to see that part of yourself that grows from this. Was that was that like mm-hmm. way too Californian, or I'm not sure. That's, that's the best I could do. This more. Did I go like off? Yeah, I was like, oh no, it's 1968 again. Right. Uh, Robert, that was you, you know, that was good. Um, (laughs) um, I just had a follow-up for you, though, Robert. I was just thinking, see the part that needs fed. I was just wondering, so what's on the plate? Oh, oh, you know, uh, you know, okay, so it's just to remain in the the sort of uh, uh, place that's not ambiguous but is uh, unknown, I'd say discovery, right? So we're all... 
in a place now where we're having to uh, uh, do what we do, which is to create, but in ways that are different in different environments with different relationships to each other. And mm-hmm. so what's on the plate is discovery. And by discovery, and I don't mean like I don't know where I'm going. I know where I'm going because I've done this thing before. I just don't know what the route is to it. And mm-hmm. so uh, every day, dis- and I do mean every day, right? Every day discovery. So it's you know it, some of it is some of it's not fun, like the technical part, of, like trying to figure out why doesn't the sound on Zoom, uh, you know, why isn't the sound on Zoom behaving the way I want to? And you go through and you do all that stuff, and you sort of figure that out, and you kind of go, oh wow, this is a different experience uh, trying to communicate with people this way. And then you kind of go, wow, this is really a lopped off experience trying to communicate with people this way because it's not the same thing. And then you kind of go, wow, this mm-hmm. different lopped off experience is a new experience, so it's its whole it's its whole thing. You kind of go, wow, this is a whole thing, so it is its whole new thing. So then, what is this thing that I this new thing that I've discovered for myself, and how can I put that to use in some way? So. That's what's on the plate. Uh, what's on the plate is uh, is you know all these new jewels that we're finding that look like cubic zirconia. Right now, it feels like cubic zirconia, right? <laughs> and you really want it to be something else, you know. And it and it probably is something else that we're tr- we're trying to figure it out, you know. Mhm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the figuring out. I'm sure. Um, you know, given that. You all are all artists. You actually sort of have like a palette and um, you know tools to be able to sort of try to work that out and and you know perhaps in in the uh, choreography and in the movement you help other people figure it out who might not necessarily have facility with the language as you do, but we all have abilities. Because I was just thinking. Uh, some of the movement, like for instance, um, uh, Babatunji, you know, when you were sharing, I'm thinking, oh, you don't have to stand up. You could actually sit down and do what you were sharing, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, the so there's a way for, you know, with dance in particular, but other types of arts, you know, uh, performance arts, the audience can actually participate, not just intellectually. So, um, so it's mm-hmm. really it's sort of a reciprocal process. That's that's why I also wanted you to share because. We're we're in a auditory um, medium right now, but still there's mm. there's a possibility for those that are listening to participate and to be with us. So so thanks for coming along, you know, with me throwing that at you. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, thank you. That's actually something that I mean I like that. I never think about that. Um, uh, I. We're so used to the audience participating either in class with us, um, mm-hmm. the audience then being the students, um, or the audience participating participating in a performance with us by watching and giving us the energy. Um, and I actually, I, I, I like and encourage, um, and want to encourage, I guess I would say, more audience participation. And you even just bringing this up in this way makes me think about how can that occur more so in a performance space, especially when we come back, because so much of us will be coming from this kind of stagnant um, place 
where, you know, we're Netflix and chilling. We're not doing that much. Like some people are, and we get ourselves up and we wake ourselves up and get out there and do something. But it's very easy to fall into a chilled state. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, it makes my brain shift around with what are ways to have the audience participate rather than just living vicariously through the dancer. Like how do we encourage people to break that, you know, it's uncomfortable to move in front of other people, especially if you don't do it as a profession because you don't want to be judged. Um, and, yeah, find a way to make that a safe place moving forward. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to read uh, your bios now, and then we'll talk more about um, the Silicon Valley Dance Festival and what each of you is going to be bringing and doing there. And uh, if this is your your first time uh, as a part of the Silicon Valley Dance Festival or not, and I'm going to need your help um, pronouncing certain words. <laughs> when we get to that point of uh, opportunity, uh, you're going to have to help me <clears throat> right away because, um, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce a few things. So I'm going to start with it's you and get that out of the way. Okay. <laughs> you were born... In Portland, Oregon, but you were raised on the Big Island of Hawaii, and I don't know if you're mm-hmm. calling us. Are you calling in from Hawaii? Because it's warm there, I think, all the time, right? No, all right, yes. I I wish I was calling in from there, but um, no, I'm calling in from uh, Seattle, Washington, actually. Okay, yeah. How mm-hmm. is it there? Is it warm? No, no, it's cold here. It's extremely, it's not, okay, correction, I lived in Denver, so it's not extremely cold here, um, but it's cold enough. It's going to snow in a couple of days, um, oh. but I am very blessed to have a very large downstairs space, and so I keep the heat in here by dance. I dance every day. Um, mm-hmm. It's my meditation, and so... Uh, in this little world that I've created down here, it's getting warm. Hmm. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I really, um, I just feel so fortunate that I have central heating. Um, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can just turn it up and blast it whenever I want. I'm just like, oh, that's just, just such a blessing, um, considering so many people that don't have such, right, people that are underhoused and unhoused, like, oh, my goodness, mm-hmm. it's so chilly, even mm-hmm. in the Bay Area, which is where I am. Um, you received your formal dance, former formal dance training from Center Stage Dance Studio and the University of Hawaii in uh, Hilo before moving to San Francisco to train at the Lines Ballet Training Program on full scholarship. Um, mm-hmm. Baba Tunji has performed works by diverse choreographers such as Sidra Bell. Oh, Cool. Um, <laughs> Amanda Miller, Gregory Dawson, love Gregory Dawson. Oh my God. Um, and 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 Maria Kerr. Is that how you pronounce Maria. her first? Maria. Maria Kerr. Close. Yeah, I know her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maria. Yeah, uh, you have performed uh, Babatunji uh, overseas in Japan and China. And dance with the company that is actually producing Silicon Valley Dance Festival. And how do you pronounce it? Yes. Ziru. Ziru. And what about the first part? Mm-hmm. Filin? Filin? 
Selene, Selene. Selene, Selene Zero. Thank you. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, no, Maria. No. Okay, Maria Kerr's Tiny Pistol. Uh, you were in. Uh, Dawson Wallace's Dance Project. Uh, opportunity joined Lions Ballet in 2013 and danced with the company for six years. Oh, that's why your name was so familiar. I've seen it in programs. <laughs> I've seen you a lot of times. Okay, because I, I was looking for a photograph, and I, and I didn't see one yet. Um, oh, I know your work. Mm-hmm. You're phenomenal. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Currently, you are a dancer, but I've never spoken to you, but I really admired you <laughs> from the audience. Thank you. Um, no, I appreciate welcome. that. Currently, you are a dancer with post-ballet, and SF Dance Works in San Francisco. So, again, welcome mm-hmm. so much. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much. Um, Sidra Bell Dance New York is rapidly gaining an international profile for work that reveals aspects of the human condition through a distinctly female lens. The company has performed extensively throughout the USA, Europe, Canada, and South America. Um, Bell's process is intuitive collaborative, and emphasizes the integration of multiple design elements and languages. Her work combines design, media, and fashion, creating a singular vision in contemporary dance. And I have a longer bio for you that says that. Um, I'm not going to read all of it, but it's it's nice and it's different, and it adds a little more perspective to your work um, for our audience. You're currently a master lecturer at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, an adjunct professor at Ball State University in Indiana, and you were art- artist in residence at Harvard University. You were an adjunct professor at Georgie- Georgian uh, Court University and were adjunct professor at Barnard College in New York City. You have a BA in history from Yale University and an MFA in choreography from Purchase College Conservatory of Dance. You were a University of Minnesota Theater Arts and Dance College visiting mm-hmm. artist. Is that how you pronounce that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and an artist in residence at Cornish College of the Arts in Seattle. Oh, wow. You all are like really um, sort of playing off each other. Opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> What's up? <laughs> so, Sidra, your body of work was featured mm-hmm. in the Harvard University Theater Dance and Media course, Contemporary Repertory Dance Authorship in the 21st Century, a dance technique and choreographic repertory class that will feature that will focus on contemporary traditions and the repertory of three choreographers engaging in the current discourse of contemporary dance. That's in brackets, everyone. Um, Bell was the 2019 honoree at CPR Center Performance Research Researchers Gala in New York City. Um, you won lots of awards, um, lots and lots. And, um, and what I was sort of looking at, that you received many commissions from institutions and companies internationally and created over 100 new works, notably for Body Traffic, Ailey Two, the Juilliard School, Harvard University, Boston Conservatory, River North Dance Chicago, New York Tisch School of the Arts, Sacramento Ballet, Ballet Austin, Alonzo King's 
Lines Ballet School. Um, wow, I mean, you have you're really busy. Um, yeah. and, and Robert Moses as well, and Robert Moses. Too. Oh wow, yeah, so yeah, yeah. wow, that's yeah, like you all. You all know each other. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like family. It's you a know small world. Oh, totally. That's great. You have to talk about that small world and 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 sort of what's what's the entree into the small world. <laughs> that is that is dance. That is you know black bodies moving right. Um, and then what I was really I was looking at you know this this film, you know you were commissioned in 2012 as a choreographer for the feature film Test, set in San Francisco during the height of the AIDS crisis in 1985, and it was mm-hmm. written and, and directed by Chris Mason Johnson, um, Frankfurt Ballet White Oak Project, and it was awarded two grand jury prizes from Outfest, and that's um, that's here in in uh, the Bay Area as well, and yeah. um, and there's some other films, but I was just thinking because uh, World AIDS Day just passed uh, December 1st, that I was like, oh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. And then um, you're a sought-after master teacher, uh, and your alternative pedagogy, contemporary systems and interior and material approach was featured in Dance Magazine. Um, and you've been in a lot of other magazines, and um, I'm sure I'm sure your bio is on your website, which is really really cool. And as I mentioned earlier, that I really like the names of some of your pieces: um, Wreckage, 2018, uh, Point Park University in Pittsburgh, um, mm-hmm. and the uh, what are some of the other titles? Visceral. Um, that's not the one. Um, there was another one. Let me find it. Uh, Behavioral skin. Oh, yes, yes, uh huh, yeah, yeah. Um, so what comes that. first? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, uh, and and uh, spherical heart. Yeah, that one too. Yeah, twenty nineteen, and then and then the uh, human heroes. Yeah, I think you already mentioned that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Where did titles come from? They are so interesting. Um, why well, I love poetic language. Um, I was, you know, very immersed in writing throughout my whole uh, journey as an artist. And um, in my practice, I grew up in New York City and I um, went to Alvin Alley and Dance Theater of Harlem, but I also had a pretty rigorous um, kind of education in writing and history um, from elementary school really through college and so I've always been really interested in the intersection of language and movement um, and how to sort of communicate out, share out to larger audiences through language and how can um, program information really guide um, an experience. So when you come into a show or you're entering an immersive world, you have all these sort of um, things to grab onto from the program to the set design to the costuming. And so it's really, um, for me, it's a sort of practice of diary, journal writing, um, thinking about how uh, the language is built through improvisational systems and how that can be shared out with audience. Um, so titling is super important to me. And um, I also love to build abstractions around works, and I work a lot with film and media um, and photography. So it's all part of how the dance gets communicated. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you for saying that you like the titling. That's really important to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're a photographer, you know, uh, photographers, they do a really good job in capturing, you know, the work yeah. like, for instance, eighty two, you know, Valis. 2008, I mean, that is mm-hmm. really beautiful image. And I was just thinking about Alvin Ailey, you know, having its season during the month of December, you know, opening last week with, you know, sort of the 60th anniversary of Revelation. Yeah. I mean, like, mm-hmm. 60th anniversary, like, whoa. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Amazing. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I know um, Alvin Ailey was a... Um, just being at the the school was a very um, influential time for me as a young artist, and so I continue to be inspired by what they do. And um, creating both in 2008 was just one of the highlights of my career. Um, mm. And yeah, that photographer Edward Catino did a really beautiful job of cap- capturing the exuberance of that piece. Um, and I, I work with a lot of really incredible photographers, some really young, emerging. Um, I like to sort of tap into um, designers that are just kind of coming up. Um, it's exciting to work with, you know, younger designers that um, have a unique eye or perspective um, mm-hmm. outside of traditional dance photography. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. And when you mention notebooks, I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> Robert <laughs> Moses. <laughs> Uh, you are you are the consummate, you know, choreographer, writer. I mean, I mean, you're just like phenomenal, Robert. I mean, I, I think you're, I think you wanted, were one of the first uh, choreographers that I've ever saw choreographed to, to words. Like your dancers are dancing to language. I mean, and there's a rhythm in the language, but I've never seen anyone like intentionally. That's what it is. It's like not set to music. It's not singing. It's words, and I I don't remember the name of the piece, but it was at the San Francisco um, Jewish um, uh, uh, community center. Yeah, community the, center. The one up on right. the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The new one. It was, pro- it was probably it was probably Baldwin. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, Baldwin. I did a piece. Yeah, I did a piece to uh, a conversation between Lorraine Hansberry. Uh, James Baldwin, um, uh, Langston Hughes, and Alfred uh, Kazin, uh, sort of an interview. And, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I love that one. It's a nice one, yeah. Um, and, yeah. Um, and Youth Speaks was in, like, you had the young people doing poetry. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, that was a minute ago. Oh, my God, that was a minute ago, yeah. I love your work. And it makes well, an impression. Uh, yeah, well, thank you. The um, I think when if you're talking, Cinder was just talking about uh, importance of language. Uh, I think that is very important that we all figure out how to shape it. And I don't I don't know if Cinder uh, and I would necessarily agree. It might be a great conversation to have, and maybe I can invite her on to our. Uh, we have something called the Concept Jam uh, that we have where we talk about uh, things like this. But the um, this thing of abstraction and language and shaping and understanding and forcing uh, perspective is all really sort of very interesting uh, to me, and it would be interesting to have a real uh, conversation around uh, how that works, you know. And uh, when you when you redefine uh, existing language or you reframe it in existing language, does it kind of obliterate what was there before, or do you really force people into a, 
another space in terms of having to hear something, which it might be interesting in that we're, you know, part of the reason we're here is to talk about the Silicon Valley uh, dance festival thing because we are, we have been forced into another uh, framework. But at, at any rate, Sidra, it might be really fun to just sit down and talk about that at some point. That, cause, yeah. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it might be fun. And all because Wanda. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you have to let us know, um, sort of when when do, when are when do you have the concept jam, um, uh, Robert? Like, how do how do we find yeah, well, out well, about? Uh, we have about once a month. We usually invite uh, oh. three to four people, and we have a we just basically sit around and we have a conversation around whatever comes up in the conversation and then people mm-hmm. can drop in comments in the in the uh chat function or actually say something if they want to. But that's I mean, yeah. So that's uh yeah, that's what that is. So I'd okay. invite Baba Toon J too. Yeah, you guys won't come. Well, that'd be a lot of fun to come through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh that sounds great. That sounds really great. So I definitely um Make sure you drop me a line or something so I can be in the oh, house. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. And then another one of your pieces that I really, um, that sort of, I don't know why it's coming to me, maybe, maybe because, um, uh, <clears throat> maybe because uh, Sidra is in New York, but your your piece with Faith Ringo's um, quilt. Oh, yeah, yeah, the quilt. Yeah, the quilt was, you know, what's, you know what's really interesting is you're talking about the way things, uh, the way folks are connected, right? And it's mm-hmm. weird that I think even in this moment we're a little uh, we're a little more uh, connected than we think we might be, and and either you know either in our appreciation of what people are able to achieve in this moment. Uh, so like uh, I know Bob Dungey is just busy all the time. It's good to see that, and it's good to see your brother out there doing the same. But then it's also it's you know it's good that uh, I'm really happy to see that Sidra's getting some recognition, some opportunities in some areas that uh, hitherto for have, <laughs> have not been uh, as accessible. So congratulations on that, on the work with the uh, the ballet there. And I say that because you, absolutely, and I say that because you bring up uh, the Faith Ringo thing, and I only I met her briefly, really briefly in the making of that thing. Uh, but I often look back on that and think fondly about that because uh, most of the people in that project I'm still uh, associated with in some way or friends with, you know, you know, Laura, of course, Laura Ellis, and uh, 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 oh, now I'm going to forget. I'm going to forget some names, but uh, solo. She's a solo. Uh, so Robert God, Henry Johnson, right? Well, yeah. Well, Robert was in it, but no, no. But the thing I did was I did it. I did the thing with the. Uh, it was supposed to be a representation of the uh, the slavehold and uh, the moment sort of climbing out of climbing out of the slavehold. So it was sort of a, a frozen moment that took about twenty minutes mm-hmm. to unfold. Uh, but I wanted to I wanted to sort of just bring it around to your uh, mm-hmm. Nora Chipamari. So Nora Nora was in that. Oh uh, yes. And then you know Faith Ringo. It's like we're all it's, that six degrees of. <clears throat> six degrees of separation thing, which actually has happened on this call right here. Six degrees of separation, and we're all kind of uh, connected in in one way or another, even if it's sort of tangentially. So, I mean, I think that's that's mm-hmm. a fun. It's a fun thing to recognize 
and to understand. And I think that kind of thing is really important at some point uh, when the history of whatever moment is being told, that we understand that uh, some of the things that are most probably, and, you know, because I bring that up because, you know, in my work I'm often interested, people call it, you know, sort of social justice and whatnot, but it's also just the, the history, it's a, <laughs> the history of our social selves. And I don't know if justice has anything to do with this, but the, when you think mm-hmm. about the 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 way we're all connected, the way we remember how we're connected, you know, in the four of us sitting here having this conversation, which you know may which with the volume of things that are out there right now may or may not sort of float to the top of you. You may wind up on you whatever and get a hundred million uh, hits, and it may sit at the bottom and get ten. You know, we don't know how these things necessarily work, even with all the algorithms. My point is, you know, I'm going off to one of my favorite stories. <laughs> my point, my point is that the uh, the way in which we remember people and things like Baldwin or Sidra, the you know, way we remember these things will be attached to how much uh, how much a part of the web you are, and the real histories of things will come out of that, right? So people sometimes even when you get um, uh, how do I say? You get disconnected, or or you don't get disconnected. <clears throat> you are disconnected from your own history in a way because your own history is um, claimed uh, in some way. So you have a million dancers that work for you uh, over some period of time, and you happen to notice, oh wow, all these dancers are winding up with this company or that company, which is able to pay more or do this, that, or the other, and uh, because they have a higher profile or something then the history of some of your impulses wind up over there. And you kind of go, wow, that's that's really an interesting thing. So I think it's important that with something like what Sidra's doing, which is saying this is my language, this is who I am, and putting, at least that's how I see it, putting a foot down. And you can tell me I'm wrong because I'm probably wrong because I don't know how many conversations, actual conversations we had. I respect you, respect your work enough to say, come on, do something on my people, and that's like, you know, and you know, you know what that means if you say that. Yeah. That's the kind of respect, yeah. right? Uh, so, the, so the your the putting down of your foot in that way is a really interesting and particular thing, particularly for uh, I'm going to use words like this because I don't have another way to sort of put it for a segment of, of, of folks who have not uh, been regarded in the way that they should be regarded because of the quality of their work is important. And so, having these kinds of conversations between the folks you're having these conversations with, I think it's really important to get to the place. I mean, history is important. I think it's important to get to the place mm-hmm. to talk about how the history is understood, right? And the, one of my questions is, how do you want to be known, right? How is it, you know, because people talk about you, they talk about your work. And, like, but the question is how, like, I would say, to, I would ask both, and I know so, this is your, your thing, Wanda, but I'm just going to jump off because this is who I am. But my question, my question to uh, uh, Sid and Baba Dunji would be like, how is it that you want your work to be known, you know? And and without, uh, and that doesn't mean, that's a different question than, like, what's it about? Because Bob Tunji's making work, too, right? He's not just uh, that amazing dancer, that's why they make work. So the question is, like, for me, it's like, how do you want your work to be known, which is different than your, or, yeah, which is different than what it's about or how do you want it? Like, there's, like, we wrap all of those questions up in the same thing. And I'm just sort of wondering that. So sorry, that's me going off on the spiel. But listening to you guys talk brings up questions. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's yeah, beautiful. Question. I always wanted to be. You want to get it, Sidra? Yeah, I was. I think 
Um, I've always felt a little bit like an outlier, and so I always, growing up, I just kept dreaming of being in dance somehow. I didn't know how. Um, I knew it wasn't necessarily going to be um, as a performer. Um, It just wasn't in my nature to be out front in that way. So um, in the beginning, I just really wanted to be in the community of of making, and um, I wanted to work with collaborative teams and you know I think my history I think really is rooted in my upbringing and um, being around artists of all kinds from jazz to visual within my family structure and when I thought about you know making work and in the beginning it really was more about being in community with people and um at some point, I realized that in order to sustain that community, I had to step out front and kind of put a sort of stamp on it and, you know, um, speak out loud, speak what I wanted into fruition. And so that was a huge shift for me because I am so introverted, I would say. Um, but everything I do is because I want to do it for the team um, that I'm a part of and, um I guess I never really wanted to be known, <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm, I, always mm-hmm. to be, I always wanted to be inside of the work. Um, but I understood at one point that I needed to really step out front to make that happen and to create a sustainable structure for other people and to, um, you know, to speak um, and to articulate uh, the importance of the work. Um, but the work for me is the community 